Okay, are we stimulating thought a little bit? Remember, you, you'll never agree with everything that I say. And um, my role isn't to give you a perfect bird's eye view of this is how you ought to be parenting your kids. That's, that's not my intent. I don't give out list of things. I don't, um, it's more of a mindset of engagement. And, and if I can stimulate some thought about you know, when I made the comment, I heard a few of you go, when I said that I think the kids ought to get cell phones at eight or nine, it's, it, it, it you know, and, and I go, that's just an idea. Because what I'm trying to do is a couple of things. One is, is, is that it's to counter the culture in some way so we can focus on what's important. That becomes a key element of this. You know, out of all the things that we want to do with our kids, we get this idea that, that we have to change everything about them. So, we're, so that's why we're constantly correcting them all the time. Do you guys do that? This is what you're doing wrong. This is how you need to do it different. This is how you need to do it better. You know, never content with who they are so that they feel like we are concerned about what the lawn looks like rather than, you know, what they look like. Or, or we're concerned about their outward appearance a lot more than their inward appearance of, of how they see themselves. And so I try to just help people kind of understand. We're trying to counter a culture that's, that's moving kids away from us. The other thing is, if you have kids that are struggling, then, then it's about managing kids in such a way that you don't lose the relationship. And that's what becomes key. And, and the tendency to lose the relationship is... is it is very easy because if you're like me and you've been raised in a, you know, like a, a strict Methodist background or uh, a Baptist background or where the strictness was, was key or more something that was more legalized than it was grace-filled, then there's a tendency to say, this is what we've got to do. And you put the program before the relationship. And I think our kids sense that. And so when we start to have kids that spin out of control and, and start doing things that we can't believe that they would ever do, the tendency may be to cut them off and, and say, you're out. And yet I read Scripture and I find, in, in, in where you'll know, I don't think kids are rebellious. I think our kids are getting lost. They, they, somewhere on the road map, they're just, the curiosity's taking them to another place, they... They don't know which way to turn. We teach them one way, but we don't teach them how to, like, to drive a car, but we don't teach them how to drive at night. Somebody rams into them, they get a flat or what. We're not preparing them to deal with those things, and I think it's important. But I'll tell you the number one thing that's important is the relationship. That if your child comes home and says, Mom, I'm gay. The first tendency is, you're out. Don't do that. That's what Scripture says. This is what this, 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 you know. And we, and we lose the relationship. Or a son who's smoking pot. Or you find that your daughter's having sex with her boyfriend or her girlfriend. Things change a little bit. And the tendency is we become very judgmental. And I'm not saying that we don't, we don't hold to the beliefs that we have, nor the Scripture that that I think is inerrant. I, I believe in the authority of God's Word. 
The challenge for me is how to take Scripture and apply it to situations that I never thought we'd be talking about or just had no idea about. Remember when, when the woman in a, was caught in adultery and, and they brought this young lady, probably 14, 15 years old, to Jesus. It was a setup. Brought her to Jesus and, and they said, hey, the law of Moses says we should stone this woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery. What should we do? Jesus knelt down and he started writing in the sand. Remember that? Do you remember that? And then uh, that's where he made his infamous statement, let him who without, is who without sin, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he knelt back down and he started writing again. You know what I thought he wrote? What I really believe he wrote in the sand? Because you can tell because it was the older men that started to leave first, is what Scripture says. And I think all you could hear were rocks being dropped as, as people were walking off. But I think he wrote this. What if this was your daughter? Because it's, it's amazing how quickly it changes. We're all for our kids not getting pregnant before they get married, aren't we? Or getting somebody pregnant. Anybody want, want your kids to get pregnant before they get married? We're all for that. I, met, I ate lunch with a family today that son came to dad and said, uh, guess what? Dad, he's 18. We're pregnant. And so he ends up marrying the girl. And so we're sitting at the table today just kind of talking about, well, how do you do that? And he goes, you know, it was amazing. He said, I've been raised in a pretty strict Baptist environment. And I'm not anti-Baptist. Don't hear that. In a strict Baptist environment, and the first thing I wanted to do was say, I'm kicking you out of the house. And within a split second, I said, well, son, I've got your back. That's grace. You know, grace is, is something that's interesting to me because grace is hard. Grace is not one of these easy things. It's, you know, to offer grace to somebody who has offended you. Scripture says, that in, in Proverbs, says that the... Um, like one who has offended the other is like the barred gates of the citadel. That once, once this is up, you can't get it down. And the tendency is that most of the time when we've been offended by different things, we have a tendency to put up those walls. And grace is moving towards somebody when we have every right and reason to move away from them. Are you following me? That's what God's love is. That doesn't mean there's not consequences for things. But what it does mean is, is that, there's, that I can still move towards somebody. And somebody says, well, how do you love a son when he tells you he's a homosexual? The same way you did before him. And it doesn't mean that you're, you're because I love them, that means that I, I'm accepting their lifestyle, I believe that it's okay. But at some point, we're called to love a lot more than we are called to judge. Because the judgment has an amazing way, especially in this culture, of pushing kids away. I, I, quickly, what I can tell you with, with uh, this, this next piece, that, that, that uh, why traditional parenting is not, not working. I can, I can do it in, in a way that, that helps you understand. I've never had a parent say, I want to have a perfect daughter. I've never had a mother say that. Never. And I've never, I've never heard a dad say, I'm going to rule our home with an iron fist, and this is how it's going to be. I've really never heard a dad say that. 
I've never heard a mom and dad sit down and say, you know, I think we'd like to be judgmental parents. That's what we'd like to be. I have heard hundreds of girls say, my mom wants me to be perfect, and I can't do it. I have heard hundreds of young men say this, my dad rules our home, and I can't wait to get away from him. And I've heard thousands of kids say this, my parents are the most judgmental people I know. How sad. The tendency is that, the, that those styles just don't work anymore. I remember my dad used to tell us what about, what, how we should think about homosexuality because they all wore earrings, and I grew up in New Orleans, and so um, if, if, you have an, if, if it's left, it's right, and it's right, it's wrong. You ever hear that? I remember my mom, um, my mom covered, we saw two lesbians walking down the street, and it was the first time I saw two girls holding hands, and I had a bucket of popcorn, and my mom, my mom, we were walking, it's outside Jackson Square in New Orleans, took it and shoved my face into the bucket while we walked by. <laughs> like seeing lesbians was going to make me want to eat more popcorn or something. I was just going. <laughs> but it's a part of life now, and you kind of go, so how do I engage differently? Now, I don't know about you, but I wrestle with that sometimes. I just wrestle with how do I bring the gospel to bear without giving up what I believe? And where you'll know, my specialty of, of working with kids is with girls in same-sex relationships. I don't know why, other than there's a young lady in Nashville, there's one in L.A., and there's one in Chicago that I meet with, and they occasionally come and spend time with Jane and I, and, and we just spend time together. I never tell them they're wrong. I don't try to convert them. I don't, I don't do any of that. I just help them in the process of stuff. Because the minute I tell them they're wrong, they're going to reject me. The minute I tell them this and that, they're going to stop the relationship. And I believe that people change because of relationships. And I also believe that all behavior is goal-oriented. And there's motive behind every behavior. So it's just figuring out what that is and helping somebody process that more than anything else. And so when, when we talk about old school, this perfect mindset, and you guys live in the South, you know what that is. I mean, I drove down some street, and they're, they're evidently something tore up a bridge here, and because um, the trucks were beeping all night long outside of the hotel I was at, and, uh, and, and they're tearing it up, and so I had to drive through the neighborhoods to get here. God, there's some beautiful homes here, isn't it? They're just, they are gorgeous. You know, and, and it's, it's amazing. I, I was raised in the South, and in the South, things are, just look a little bit different than in the North, because it's supposed to be perfect. You know, and it's kind of like we want things to be perfect. Well, it doesn't work like that anymore, because a kid's idea of perfection is gone once they reach age 12 right here. It no longer exists. It's like this, that if, that if we say that, that, that this is a teaching model down here, where what we're going to do is teach our kids, and, and this is where I'm going to pour stuff into them, and this at 12 to 19 is a, is a training model. It means somewhere I've got to shift my focus from what I'm doing here to accommodate the needs that are here. 
And, and I'll tell you this, here is where, and I mentioned it this morning, here is where you're given coffee mugs and t-shirts and they say, world's greatest mom and world's greatest dad. And we get this idea that we're just, God, we're just perfect parents. We are, we are so good. Honey, we ought to write a book. You know what I mean? We are, everybody wants to know why our kids are so perfect. And then they get here. And it just stops. And it just changes. And you go, what changed? Your kids did. Because hormones enter into everything here. The other thing is they move from concrete thinking, which is here, up to abstract thinking here. This is why <clears throat> you might not struggle with the kids that, that you've adopted here because when you adopt them, you give them the answer that we, we got you from here, we have done this for you, we provided a home for you. All the reasons you give them are concrete things that they get it. And then they reach age 12 and they, start, they may be different. You may have a, <clears throat> a kid that's not the same race as you that that they feel like they are. They don't know anything about their parents. And, and it's all about belonging up here. And they're moving from concrete, the concrete answers you gave them. Now they want abstract. Why would somebody give me up? Especially our girls when they start their period. Because now the whole world is changing for them as they see things differently. And they're going, why was I given up? Why didn't somebody, why was I abandoned? How can somebody do that? Now, when would be another time that a young lady who's been adopted, when would be another time that she would really start to question her own adoption? When she has her own kids. Because she's going to hold that baby and say, how can somebody, have, why would they have done that? And that's why most kids really don't come to conclusions about their adoption until they're in their mid-20s. Because it's when they start experiencing different things. But this abstract, I mean, this concrete thinking to abstract thinking is different. You have a child here who lost a, a parent in the World Trade Center. We had a young man that was with us, and, and at five, he lost his dad, and he was told, okay, we're going to have to move to a smaller house. You're going to have to feed the dog. You need to be the man of the house, which is what mom said, and, and mommy's going to go to work, and you know, all this other stuff. And then at age... 12 and 13, he started saying, my dad's never going to see me play basketball. My dad will never be at my wedding. My dad will never hold my kids. It's almost like he's now reliving and grieving what he lost nine, ten years ago. It's because his, his thinking has shifted. And it's like it opens up a whole new world. Are you following me with this shift that begins to happen? And so then you have kids here that are dependent on you, and they look to you, and it's like, God, you're so great. You're so good. I love you, Mom. I love you, Dad. And then they get up here, and they go, I want to be independent. And so what I'm saying is, is that we start that process of moving them to independence. Here, here's an example. At 12, you're going to go to to Sunday morning, Sunday school, and you're going to work in the nursery, and Sunday night you're going to go listen to some guy with a mustache talk about parenting, even though you don't need it. And then you're going to go to a Monday morning discipleship, then the, then the girls' uh, donut thing on Tuesday morning, then there's a, there's a worship team that you're going to be with on Wednesday, then there's prayer group, and then there's, and then there's servanthood training, and then you're going to do missions on Thursday, then on Friday... 
You need to pray all day. And then on Saturday, start preparing for the Sabbath the next day. And, and so you're going to be doing everything, and I'm watching everything. When you're a senior and 18, you do what you want. Which means this, that along this path, that along this path, what I'm doing is letting the rope out a little bit more, a little bit more, so that their faith can become their faith. And it's not your faith becoming their faith. That they're learning to make decisions. I want them to flex their decision-making muscles along the way so they can build those muscles up so that when they get here and start to leave home, they'll be able to pick up everything that, that they're going to have to pick up. So it means that, that maybe at age 13, maybe you don't have to do the, you know, the, the mission thing. And maybe at age 14, you don't need... Maybe at age 15, 16, we just want you to go somewhere. Or maybe we say, we just want you to have two spiritual things a week. Go to church somewhere. Get involved in Young Life, K-Life, Whose Life, I Wanna, I Don't Wanna. You know, what, <laughs> whatever those things are. At 17, you don't have to go if you don't want. At 18, hey, if you don't go to church this morning with us, will you come meet us for lunch? And we'll be and have a great meal today. Somebody will go, well, wait a minute. You're encouraging people to, to let their kids make their own decisions. Yes. You're encouraging them to leave the church. Not at all. This is the way to keep them in the church. Because if your kids start to spin out of control, the first thing, if you love the Lord and you show that and display that and have all the signs around your house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus is, rules the roost here, or whatever it is. And you, know, you have it all over the place. What's the first thing that they're going to reject to show you that they want to be in control of their life? They're going to go, you know, I don't want really to believe this God stuff anyway. And it's amazing. The kids that come to us either feel like they're using their relationship with Christ as a control mechanism to get back at their parents, or they are really having a tough time believing how a God, a loving God, can allow a plane to, to fly into their dad and kill him. You know why a dad would sit down in front of the whole family and say, hey, son, it's not about you, and blow his brains out in front of him. I mean, it's those kind of things that it causes them to question. Now, for me to go... Okay, I just need to pour more into them. What I'm doing is I'm just going back to this teaching thing. And it's like, that's not what they want. When a child asks for wisdom and you give them just more information, you are provoking them wrath. And they will, and wrath will come. And they will show you, they will show you that they want to make decisions and want to be in control. And I said it this morning, sometimes I think, the rebellious child in the family is sometimes the healthiest child in the family because parents haven't shifted. I mean, you, you got everybody waking them up all the time and still preparing. They ought to be preparing meals. They ought to be doing their own laundry with the intent of, I'm giving it to you, not because I don't want to be a mother or a dad anymore. It's because I want you to learn how to take care of some of these things. And somebody goes, you got to be kidding me. We're going to let them start making decisions because this is where we make all the decisions. And then I'm transferring it to them. You've got to start making decisions about stuff. I mean, here we are with 14-year-old kids and we're still ordering food for them at a restaurant. I go, look, either order it or starve to death. I don't care. Let them starve. They'll eat. They'll find something to eat. They can rummage around. 
You know, but I'm going, that's how we do it. We let them start making decisions. We got a 17-year-old daughter, and we're still trying to control what she wears. We do this on the internet. We got an 18-year-old son living in our house, and we're still monitoring everything he's looking at. <clears throat> that's where Kirk Cameron and I had a little bit of a diff- difference of opinion. Does anybody work for Disney? Disney funded part of this film, and, and, uh, and at the end of it, part of the deal was he was supposed to push this little thing called the circle. And you can plug into the circle, um, and you can, uh, some way, I don't know how, uh, but then you can control everybody's texting and everything else within the house. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's age appropriate for some groups, but not everybody. My 12-year-old granddaughter came to me and she goes, they didn't give you any of those to put in our houses, did they? You know, I mean, she was just hot. You know, don't ever put that, you know. And, and, it's, and, and I, I think sometimes we operate out of fear. Instead of saying, okay, maybe what I need to do, maybe, maybe, just an idea, is give my child a phone when they're eight or nine years old. They're going to be getting them like that in a few years anyway. But give it to them now while they're still listening to us. And then what I do is I, I, I really ratchet down who they can have contact with. You know, now when you're 14, you can have a Snapchat account. Or you can have Instagram now. Or maybe you can use Musical.ly at such and 12 age or, you know, or whatever. But at some point, I quit always violating their privacy. And we do it under the thing, I'm, I'm scared to death that somebody's going to get in there and it's, well, you know, quite honestly, I mean, did your parents listen to you on the phone? My wife and I dated, uh, you know, since we were in the ninth grade. And I said this earlier, it's when we were, <laughs> it's when we went to this Christian band in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Led Zeppelin. And, uh, and uh, my parents, all during the time that we talked, never listened in on our conversations. But what we do when we do that with our kids is we're treating them like little kids. And so it pushes them all the way back here. <clears throat> no wonder they're not maturing. There is a risk of letting them make decisions. There's a risk. Um, do I want kids to not look at porn? Absolutely, I do not want them to look at porn. Will our young men look at porn? Absolutely, they will look at porn. They will see it. So my point isn't to just shield them from everything. And I'm not saying just carte blanche, let everything happen. But there is a part of it where I go, that's a part of their world that's unlike what was a part of my world growing up. We were looking for those pictures, you know, that an uncle had or at a... At a, at a hunting lodge somewhere or something. But it's far different now. But what I can do is spend time making sure I'm engaging with a son and helping him understand that, not just by pushing it on him, saying every time you go there, it's sin and you just shame. Every time you shame a child, it pushes them further into sin. And so it's, it's not shaming, it's counteracting and just saying, I'm going to train you. And part of it's going to be by example. Part of it may be 
I was wrong. Part of it is the admission. I've struggled with that. And moms, I don't know whether you get the porn thing, but every man in this room does. For it's every man's battle. Men are just wired differently. And so, if you can, let men handle that with the idea that, no, I don't want them to look at porn. I don't want that. But I know it's a part of their world, and there's got to be either a covenant thing going on between a dad and a son. Get that thing called covenant eyes. Is that what it's called? We ought to sell that. And it just holds kids accountable. And you tell them, I go, it's, it's, it's normal for you, but I'm... But you got, I get it, and I understand it, and I'm glad you want to look at naked women rather than naked guys, but, but it's going to damage you, and I, don't, I can't. Let me help you. Let me help you. And it just means I engage differently. But I give them the opportunity to start making decisions. Now, will it go wrong? Will your kids ever make mistakes when you give them the opportunity to make decisions? Do you trust kids? I don't. I don't trust any of them. Not a one. Scripture says that cursed is the man who puts his trust in man. For he'll be like a bush in the desert. He'll dwell in salt places where no one lives. And his leaves will wither in a time of heat. I don't trust kids. But I still let them do stuff. I mean, whoever really thought it was a good idea to take car keys, hand them to a young lady that's turned 16, who just 366 days beforehand was 14, who just found out that Santa Claus doesn't exist, and was in middle school, and it's okay to give them car keys and say, here, go drive around Memphis, Los Angeles, and Chicago, and Houston, and LA. I mean, whoever thought that was a good idea? Matter of fact, I think that's a stupid idea. I think that's one of the worst suggestions that anybody could have come up with. Let's put a daughter, these, these precious young girls, into 5,000 pounds of metal that'll go 120 miles an hour, and then, because they were just nine years old just a couple of days beforehand, and just let them have at it. <clears throat> that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But it works. And our kids step up to the plate. And they do a good job. Yeah, they're going to, they're gonna, you know, run into the other car in the garage. They're going to back into stuff. My wife backs into stuff. I mean, she, my wife was backing into our driveway. <clears throat> we live on some acreage, and she was backing in the driveway. And I, for the life of me, I don't know how this happened. But she's backing up, and she's using the camera, and she ended up, probably 40 feet away from the, where she was trying to park the car and slammed into a pine tree. I mean, a huge thing. Caved in the whole back of the car. So, so she calls me and she's crying and she's upset and she's just, <laughs> it's all busted and it's, what? You know, and so she goes, oh, I pulled into the garage. And so I go and she's backed into the garage now and she's on the phone crying. I can look from my office over to my house, because I live right off the property, and, she, and, and the garage door won't shut. It's because she's banging the garage door over the top of the car. It's kicking in the top. I mean, the hood just had ridges all in it, and I'm going, they're going to make mistakes. That's why you have insurance. 
It's like, I know my wife's going to burn our house down. I know she is. I walk in one night at 1.30, I get home from a deal, and I walk in, and she has got, on this big sofa, she's got this wood crate or box that you put magazines in, in the middle of it is a Yankee, does anybody here work for Yankee Doodle Candles? Because we need to have a discussion, and we're charging you double for the books. But... And, they, and it's, if you burn those things for more than an hour, the glass breaks. When the glass breaks, the, the wax goes all over the sofa. And I walk in and I'm, you can just smell it. <clears throat> I know my wife's going to burn her house down. So I went to Browning and bought their biggest fireproof gun safe. And I put it, <clears throat> and I put it in my office. And, um, and then put all the stuff that I want to keep in there. And she said, can I stick some stuff in there? Uh-uh. No. No, that's my insurance that you don't burn the house down. But you know that mistakes are going to happen. You know it's going to happen. But it, it's okay as long as we're training them and engaging them to let them start learning how to make some decisions. Why? Because when they get up here, when they start to make a decision about a mate, I want, it, I want them to have experience in decision-making. When they make decisions about the important stuff in life, what they're going to do, where they're going to go, I want them to know how to make decisions. And if I don't teach them, it does not come natural. So every decision I make for them is one less decision that they get to make. And so my point is I'm going to start helping them make better decisions. And then we're going to have a discussion about it. And the other thing is it doesn't have to be the best decision. It can be a good decision doesn't have to be the best. I'm, you know, I, I mean, I'm one of those guys. I wasn't even in the top 85% of my high school graduating class. Isn't that crazy? I got into law school, but I mean, but I'm going, it doesn't have to be the best. And I'm not, and I run a school also, but I mean, I, I go, I'm not one of those that, that feel like you've got to just, it's all A's or nothing, you know, kind of thing. I tell kids all the time, hey, if you want to flunk, flunk, I don't care. If you want to pass, pass. I really don't care. I can love you whether you pass. I can, I can love you whether you're flunk. This is your deal, not mine. Well, what am, I, what am I supposed to do? I have no idea. What would you do? I don't know. Well, you, you run the school and you don't know what to do? Mm-mm. Well, what am I supposed to do? Beats me. It's all about my responsibility down here, but you know what this is? This is all about their responsibility because my deal is figure it out. You have everybody, you can ask questions. This is, where, this is where I give all the answers here. This is where I start asking all the questions. Rarely do I give answers to kids. Scripture says you'll search for me and you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Every time I answer something for my child, it's one less thing that they have to search for. So I kind of start the, stop the process. The journey is what? The journey is, is more important than the destination. And yet we take them to the destination immediately. Especially us dads that like to fix everything. So there's a part of it where I go, if, if it's your decisions and this is about them making decisions, just give them five things to make a decision about. And say, you're going to have to start making about that. This is more about your control. This is where I want to pass control on to them. I want them to learn. 
The reason I want kids to have phones so early is so that they'll listen to us and participate with us. And there's a plan to teach them how you can integrate a phone, just like you and I are learning to do, into relationships. Are you following me? I made a comment about the way that you can engage, you know, doing the thing with an all-tech Thursday. There's at times that I've taken my wife's phone, given it to somebody across the table from me at a restaurant, and go, okay, but we're not talking. We can only text. And we do a little counseling session just texting back and forth. Kids will say things they won't say face-to-face, but they'll answer it in a text. And it's just another way to engage. And it helps them understand why there's a need to, to learn about conversations. This is where I give all the answers. This is where I ask all the questions. And even when, I mean, let me say that about asking questions. A lot of people come up and say, Mark, when you, when you meet with kids on the radio, if you listen to our weekend program, it's a 30-minute program, uh, you can find it somewhere. I'll, we'll give you the app where you can find it. And you can just kind of tag into it. It's a 30-minute program. Then we do 60-second spots. We do that on about 1,800 stations around the country. Then on 700 country stations, they, we do those little 60-second spots, but it's artists that kind of come in. But on the 30-minute program, I get to ask kids questions. And, and people want to listen to that more than anything else. And the way that I do that, if you wrestle with perhaps finding out how to ask your kids questions, what I do is just go, hey, tell me about yourself. And go, well, I grew up here. Why'd you grow up there? Well, that's where we moved. Why'd you move there? Well, my dad got fired. From, why'd he get fired from my job? Well, he did that. Why'd he do that? Well, he was a pastor of a church. Why was he a pastor of a church? He always wanted to minister the gospel. Why do you want to minister the gospel? I don't know. He hated the gospel. Why do you hate the gospel? <laughs> you know, why? You know, and anything that they say, I pick out one word and I ask them about it. They may say, well, I've never felt value. What do you mean you never felt value? Well, people always picked on me. Why did people pick on you? Well, I didn't think I was pretty. Why do you think you weren't pretty? Because everybody told me I was ugly. Why did they tell you you were ugly? Well, I've always been ugly. Why have you always been ugly? And you, you do that in conversations, and what will happen is it will always end up at a good place where you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And then it was one time on the radio, one of the programs, it was interesting because we really wrestled with whether to use it or not. Um, This one girl, I I said, well, why do you think you move in this way and you're acting out so much? She goes, well, there was an incident that I, really, what was the incident? I was molested at church camp. Have you ever told anybody that? No. We were on the radio. And so, the, I mean, we, we record live to tape, and then it, then it goes on. Like, we've already recorded all of our programs through December. But it's interesting to me, if you follow a line of questioning, it's that. And so this is what I want, is that I want these kids to learn how to ask questions. You following me? And the only way they're going to learn is by me teaching them how to ask questions. And so it's this when I'm always given the answers. This is where I ask the questions. I was riding horses with a group of girls. I, I wanted Heartlight to be just eight kids and that I would train horses. That was it. That's all I wanted. I didn't want to do this traveling. I didn't want to, I didn't want to write books. I didn't, I didn't want to do radio. I, didn't want to, I just wanted to have eight kids when we started this thing 30 years ago and just train horses and... Uh, uh, little did I know where it was going to end up. So I get to ride horses with a lot of the kids. 
And, uh, and I loved doing that. And so it started to rain. We don't ride in the rain. And so one of the girls said, um, I, I said, well, why don't we load up and go to Starbucks? And uh, so all the girls get in my Suburban. And, and so we're almost there. And one of the girls goes, Mark, can we ask you a question? Well, sure. What's that? And you're just waiting for that moment. You're just waiting for them to say, can I ask you something? Because it's always us telling them. And I said, sure, you can ask me anything you want. Okay, okay, okay. If you came home from work and found Jan in bed with somebody, would you rather have it be a man or a woman? <laughs> Let's get to Starbucks. And so we get to Starbucks. And so we get something to drink. We're all sitting around in a circle. And these girls start talking about what they would prefer in a loud way. And I'm going, girls, hold it down, hold it down. I look like a pervert or something <laughs> meeting with a group of girls. And, 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 but it's interesting. The question they ask, they are asking because that's what they're thinking. When I said there's a confusion about gender issues and all that, that's what they're asking about. How does this fit? What does somebody think? What does a married guy think about this? What do you, that kind of thing. And the other thing, it reminds me of the power of a question. Because I still think about that occasionally. I'm just going, well, I don't know. Do I want, you know, they'll be sitting in an airport by myself going, well, would it be a man or a woman? I don't know. <laughs> Shows the power of a question. So I'm always coming up with questions to ask kids. Hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think about this gay thing? What do you think about, what do you think about the marijuana thing? It's probably going to be legalized everywhere. What do you think about that? And how is that going to impact you? But how is it going to impact your kids? And they go, well, I, no, no, no. Just think about it. Let's talk about it next week. Well, no, I want, no, no, I don't want to hear anything. I want to ask questions and I get them to think. Why? Because what they observe, what's the second part of it? It's what they reflect on. I want them to be thinking about things. And I believe this, that the seeds that are sown into the life of the child will come to fruition one day. God says he will complete that which he started. So when I'm asking questions, what I'm doing is really cultivating the soil where all the seeds have been planted. This is the time to plant seeds down here. This is the time to cultivate. Anybody into farming? You can overseed a field. You know, it, it, there's a proverb that says, seldom set foot in your son's house or he will, no, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house or he will hate you. And when we always go back, oh, I got another thing, I got another thing, I got another thing, I got another thing. It's like, it's like, there, I, and I would tell you this, there's not always the need to have a lesson for every teachable moment. You know how we're always teaching all the time? A young lady made a comment on Facebook the other day, one of the ladies, one of the girls that used to live with us, and she said, I want to be a civil engineer, and somebody wrote, um, we'll put God first and he'll cause all things to work, and I'm going, can't you just listen to a young lady that's saying, I want to be a civil engineer, and then dad pops in and goes, put God first, Hannah, put God first. And then mom is going, you need to put God first. You know, and I'm going, leave it alone. Just stop. And there's a part of it where let them have the expression. This is the time that I have 
expressed myself. This is the time for them to express themselves without me shutting them down. And the tendency is when they do, then I tell them where they're wrong. Rather than go, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I've never thought of that. Well, what do you think about that? I don't know what I think about that. I need to think about that a little bit more. But it's interesting that you would say that. I wonder what if. And you create that sense of wonder so the relationship continues and continues and continues. This is where it's about punishment here. This is where it's about discipline. And discipline is helping a child get to where they want to go and keeping them from where they don't want to end up. So it's all about them. It's not about me. It's not because I'm angered or mad. It's because I want to help them get to a good spot. And when I start to play that role with them, then they see it as somewhat different. This is where it's all about lecture. Because lecture works well, works really well in a teaching model. This is where it's about discussion. And some of you need to move from your amazing ability to lecture to move to how to have a discussion. A fool answers the question before it's asked. A fool delights in airing his opinion. You look at the definition of fool throughout all of Proverbs, it's absolutely amazing how it's, it's a selfish-minded person and foolishness leads to pain, wisdom leads to pleasure. And silence is a blessing sometimes when you just go, hmm. Sometimes I'll ask kids, are you wanting an opinion or an answer? And they go, neither. Okay? And I leave it. If it's important, they'll come back and ask again. But it's learning to communicate different. This is about talking here. This is all about listening. And we don't live in a culture that listens anymore. A prime example of that would be Black Lives Matter. It, 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 it's, it's interesting to me, and I grew up in the South. I mean, I, I haven't had, I was always told never to hang out with Catholics. That the black-white thing wasn't a big thing for me, but I was told not to hang out with Catholics. And I don't know why. I mean, are any of y'all Catholic? No, not really. And, but I mean, I was just told not to because they went to one school, we went to another school. Best man in my wedding was a black guy. So, and, and it's interesting to me that every black kid that I know in between the ages of 15 and 40 years old is scared to death when they get pulled over by a policeman, even though White kids, there's been 20 times the number of white kids that have been killed by cops during that age than, than black kids. But it, 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 there's no doubt there's something going on. And so a group of people said black lives matter. And so what did, what did everybody else come out with? All lives matter. Blue lives matter. Green lives matter. You know, cowboys matter. I mean, all the, I mean, just, that's about as sensible as when my wife told me that she was abused for seven years by a grandfather, that I say, well, hon, there's a lot of people that have been abused. Or when a young lady tells me she was raped, and I go, well, you know, a lot of people have been raped. See how foolish it is? We jump to expressing our opinion before we listen to understand. And when people don't listen then they start screaming. And then when, they, when nobody's listening to the screams, then they start doing stupid things. But if you look, and I think you would agree with me, that we live in a culture that doesn't listen anymore. Everybody's so bent on expressing their opinion about everything, from Facebook to, to everything, I mean everything. Everybody just, 
like this. I'm, I'm not a politician, and I don't talk politics other than, other than I support anybody who's in the White House. Always have. I, because I believe in the process. I support anybody. But I will say politically, if Trump would just quit tweeting and doing this all the time, even a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. Because some of it just doesn't need to be said, but that's the culture. And so it's being taught to kids. You can express yourself. Some kids are just shooting other kids and pulling stupid stunts and doing all this crazy stuff because they've been given permission to express themselves. They'll yell and scream at people all the time. So it's huge. This listening thing becomes key, and especially to high school kids. I would tell you that that's the best thing that you can do is to spend time just listening. This is more about crafting character. This is about you know, taking that character and molding it into something. This is about perfection because you want perfection in, in your parenting style in a teaching model. But in a training model, you want to usher in imperfection. So start sharing stuff about yourself where you're imperfect. Start showing yourself to be imperfect. Start relaxing a little bit to say that you can tolerate imperfection. And if you're like me, I'm obsessive compulsive. I clean everything all the time. I will drive you crazy if we live together. I will drive you crazy because I'm always cleaning up, piling books. You know, I'm always cleaning. And so it's almost my obsession with perfection sometimes gets in the way of relationships. This is where the Christian life is taught. Hear this. This is where the Christian life is caught, is caught. It's what they see. You follow me? And I'll tell you one more thing before we hit the, the last part of this. It's almost 520. We'll take a 10-minute break in a second and, and then come back and finish up. We record, um, when, we, when we were pushing the radio program years ago, um, we were going out and... and asking different radio groups to meet me and, and we give them a demo or they kind of give us an opportunity to get online and, and see if, if we were going to do a good job on the radio with them. And uh, so we went to Moody Radio. Does anybody here work for Moody? Moody's a great place, but if it had a sound that was its motto, it would be... They're just like this. Just... Just like this. And, um, but they're great people. But just at that point, this was 10 years ago, just a little high strung, maybe eight years ago. And so they asked if we could come in and, and let, let's see how Mark does. And so we put him on drive time radio. And so that was six to seven on a Tuesday morning. Then from seven to eight o'clock, it was going to be me answering questions of the people that call in and ask questions. So we were talking about kids and then it's a call in deal. And so, um, and so we had it all set up. Our people from L.A. that head up the radio thing came in. All the people from Moody were there, and, and they're all around. So there's 10, 15 people outside the glass. There's production team and weathermen and everything inside the glass. And, and so we get through the first hour, and then the first question comes in. And what you have to know is that on Monday, the day before I was doing this on Tuesday, there was a story about a pastor who had been very anti-homosexual 
uh, in Colorado Springs and uh, uh, very just just incessant with his his objection and preaching and everything and and uh, but he was going to Denver and having a homosexual relationship with a guy up there and uh, and so finally the guy up there said wait a minute this is what this pastor's doing so the pastor the church got rid of him. You know, it, it blew everything. This guy was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals. It was, I mean, it was just a mess, just an absolute mess. The, he, to, to his benefit in all this, came back and said, what do I need to do to resolve and restore everything that I've messed up in my life? And so he went through two or three years of counseling and, and, uh, and did that, did exactly what uh, was asked of him by elders and different people around the country. And so on the Monday before my Tuesday, they came out and said, this man, his counselor said this, this man is 100% heterosexual. 100% heterosexual. It was on the second page of the Wall Street Journal, on the fourth page of USA Today, that this man is 100% heterosexual. Okay, are you following me so far? So now Tuesday comes along, we're all in the radio deal, and the first call comes in with the first question. Mark, we have Stephanie on the line. She wants to ask you a question. Hey, sweetheart, how are you? What's your question? Well, Mark, I have a question for you. Are you 100% heterosexual? Well, everybody on the other side of the glass was drinking their coffee and just kind of, you know, going like this. And, and, um, and they just went like that when she asked that. And I said, well, you know, um, I don't think so. And I mean... I mean, the eyes got this big on the other side, like those big flies, you know, that and they're looking, our producer's going, no, no, you know, because we're trying to get on their station and all this stuff, and, and, uh, and, and uh, I mean, the birds quit chirping in downtown Chicago, the plane stopped in midair. And everybody was just kind of quiet. And I said, well, you know, I don't think so. Um, I, think I'm, uh, I think I'm 95% heterosexual. I think I'm 3% metrosexual uh, because I wear Tommy Bahama shirts occasionally. And I'm 2% homosexual because I'd kiss Keith Urban if I had the opportunity to. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I thought it was funny. <laughs> I mean, I was just going, how did I come up with that so fast? And I was just going, that is unbelievable. And the next thing you heard was, and the weather in Chicago is, and they took it off the air. And then all of a sudden, the guy who's head of radio is, is banging on the window going, you can't say that. You can't say that. This is live radio. You can't say that. And everything got quiet, except the weatherman. Well, it's a little stormy in Chicago right now. So... He goes on with his stuff, and I just stood up and I said, guys, let me tell you something. If you don't lighten up, you'll never have the opportunity to talk about the tough stuff that kids want to talk about. You got to lighten up. And now we're their number three program. Crazy, isn't it? Two years later, we were in, outside of uh, Franklin, Tennessee in, in Leaper's Fork and recording at a place called uh, Mole Inn. It's Michael Card's studio. And um, we took a break 
And we went to a little sandwich shop in Leaper's Fork, and, um, and uh, we're just sitting off in the corner, a little tiny place, no bigger than this area, but we were just sitting over here, had a sandwich and, you know, bottled water sitting there, and guess who walks in? Keith Urban. And, uh, <laughs> and one of our guys goes, well... Mark, there you go. And, and so, so I stood up and walked over to Keith and Nicole and, hey, Keith, Mark Gregston, hey, I'm 95, and, and, uh, and then, you know, 3% and, and uh, 2% that I'd kiss you if I had the opportunity. He goes, well, that ain't going to happen. And so he didn't think it was funny either, yeah. And it was funny, a couple of years ago, I was in Duck Dynasty land telling that story and, and uh, um, it was interesting, this 85-year-old lady came up to me and, and just said, um, you know, we haven't laughed that hard in 35 years. <laughs> then this man walked up, and I don't know who he is, and, and he walked up and he goes, Mark, I found this. You can always throw a bigger brick if it's wrapped in humor. Lighten up. This tendency here, we're so intense in teaching, but training ought to be a fun part of it. And it's risky and it's scary, but you can lighten up. Laughter is another form of worship. It truly is. I mean, it's like, it's like Simba in the elephant boneyard. Aha, laugh in the face of danger. That, that emits because we know who we are and to whom we belong. And we know that God is working with us to take what we've sown into the lives of our kids to bring it to fruition here. And there's something about that that ought to be a great relief. Quit being so serious. You've done a good job. You quit beating yourself up, moms. Moms beat themselves up all the time. I'm not doing enough. I, I need to do more. I need to do more. You know, you've done great. That's why you have amazing relationships with your sons. And dads, you've really done a great job. That's why your daughters love you so much. That's why Scripture even says, hey, when these two get married, a man's got to leave his mother and a woman leave her home or dad. So you've done a good job. But I think it's learning and shifting and saying, and amidst that job, how do I make sure that I'm meeting their needs so that when you sit at their wedding one day, there is no regrets. I've done over 400 weddings, and it's amazing to me that half of them at rehearsal dinners, it's the dad getting up front and doing nothing but talking about regretful things. I should have done this. I should have done that. That's what you're going for down there. It's not right here. It's down here. Mm -hmm.